This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Spencer Brudig. I'm Will Johnson. I'm Jessica Knoll. This show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. Yeah, so it came into our newsroom as just a silver alert. You know, we got the email with um, the information from police that uh, a woman in New Canaan had gone missing. On May 24th, 2019, an alert came into the Fox 61 newsroom in Hartford, Connecticut. At first glance, it wasn't anything all that unusual in the daily news cycle. Ben Goldman, an evening anchor at Fox 61, says the alert, like a lot of news in that corner of the state, didn't jump into the nightly news rundown at first glance. So New Canaan's about an hour, hour and 15 minutes uh, southwest from where Hartford is. Uh, New Canaan's part of Fairfield County. And in the state of Connecticut, it's a, it's a little bizarre. Fairfield County is almost a part of New York. They, they receive New York City uh, local news. They don't even get our local news down in Fairfield County. Um, and it's, it's kind of its own little subsection, an extension of the greater New York City area. But then they started hearing about the search for Jennifer Dulos. It was no longer just in the New Canaan area. The search for this woman, Jennifer Dulos, was not just isolated to New Canaan and Fairfield County. It spread up to where our stations are in Hartford uh, and, and in one of the suburbs here, Farmington, which is just about 10, 15 minutes away. And that really piqued our interest because this was now a, a much larger search uh, for this mother of five. With the search area so close, right in Hartford, in fact, Ben and others at the station start taking a closer look at Jennifer Dulos and her marriage to Fotis Dulos. But what really got interesting is that we found out that she was in the middle of a very contentious, ugly, long divorce battle with her then estranged husband. And we looked up court records and we saw that they had been to court I mean, maybe four pages worth of court appearances back and forth and in Hartford and Stamford. And the, the, the money figures were huge. Um, financial figures were really, you know, attention grabbing. So it turned into just a random silver alert to this big story where, wow, she's in the middle of this ugly divorce battle with her estranged husband who lives up here, who we learned has a girlfriend, and there's a lot of money at stake and millions and millions of dollars, and it just became an attention-grabbing headline. And, you know, these searches started just popping up all over the place. And the question was, okay, well, where is she? Fotis Dulos lived in Farmington with a new girlfriend, Michelle Traconis, So it made sense that investigators might pay a visit to the home of Jennifer's estranged husband. But when search crews filtered into Hartford, something else was clearly going on. He was spotted on surveillance cameras in Hartford. So he, he, along with his girlfriend, were just a a few miles away from our studios in downtown Hartford. And uh, that's where some of the searches were. In the meantime, sobering clues were turning up at Jennifer's new Canaan home. Police went to her house in New Canaan and they found what appeared to be uh, blood uh, in certain parts of the house in the garage. And um, they also found a car, a black suburban, which was abandoned in uh, one of the nearby parks in town that, that happened to be her car. And uh, yeah, the, the housekeeper, you know, raised a couple eyebrows and said, something doesn't seem right. And back in Hartford, Ben Goldman was hearing more about the searches taking place minutes away from the station. It was crazy. We were sitting in the newsroom and we we got reports that state police 
were searching in downtown Hartford in these storm drains and in these dumpsters and these random spots just popping up all over the city of Hartford, specifically in the north end of the city, um, on this one afternoon. And, you know, we, we didn't immediately think to connect it to this woman, Jennifer Dulos, who, who disappeared. But after the first, you know, press conference from authorities, we realized that, wow, this is, this is serious. I mean, in the weeks following, there were random searches that we would get tips of or hear of. And then uh, obviously the media would follow, whether it be in a reservoir in Farmington, uh, in the woods, in Avon. Uh, it was just, it seemed very random and it seemed all over the place. But they'd soon learn it wasn't random. And they'd hear about that sighting of Fotis Dulos driving around the streets of downtown Hartford. Uh, in, in the city of Hartford, we have these surveillance cameras that are called C4 cameras. And all we were able to report was that there was a man and a woman who looked like Fotis Dulos and who looked like Michelle Traconis driving it around in a car that seemed to appear to be uh, the truck in question dumping trash bags in 30 different locations in Hartford. We come to find out uh, through these recent arrest warrants that Michelle Traconis did admit to that being her and being Fotis and driving around. Um, she says that in the arrest warrant, she tells investigators that she didn't know where they were going. She thought they were going to Starbucks. She put her head down. She was on her phone. She didn't know where she was. But um, f- from what it appears... Fotis Dulos was caught on these surveillance cameras throughout Hartford throwing out trash bags. And, uh, you know, in these storm drains where investigators were searching, they found a license plate. They, flou- they found a Vineyard Vine shirt with Jennifer Dulos's DNA on it. Uh, they found some other items of clothing uh, in these storm drains and, and trash receptacles. As police investigated behind the scenes, we learned more about Jennifer and Fotis Dulos. Jeffrey and Gina Bunch, owners of a moving company who helped to relocate Jennifer from the Dulos' home in Farmington to New Canaan, remembered how it took four times to schedule a move day. It was obvious that she was going through a lot. She was, you know, separating from her husband. She was leaving the house. She wanted me to come, you know, in my regular clothes um, and in a vehicle that wasn't marked. That's very unusual. And she definitely did not want word to get out where she was going and when she was going there. She was scared. Yeah. She was absolutely scared. The case started getting attention outside of Hartford, outside of Connecticut and the Northeast. Tips came in from all over. It's, you know, it's a mother of five in the middle of a nasty divorce with millions of dollars and uh, a husband who was caught on surveillance camera dumping trash bags with DNA evidence of his estranged wife found in storm drains. It wasn't looking good for Fotis Dulos and Michelle Traconis. And then Dulos and Traconis were taken into custody. They were charged with uh, hindering prosecution and tampering with evidence. Um, one of the, the incidents in question was that Fotis um, took uh, one of his trucks, which appeared to be the truck that was used, from what we can tell, um, to a, a, a car wash in the town of Avon. And he made a withdrawal of hundreds of dollars at an ATM across the street. He was seen on surveillance camera at the car wash uh, being there. His cell phone pinged to that location. Um, 
you know, there you, you look through these, you know, 40, 50 page arrest warrants and there's stories and stories and stories of, of witness testimony or of uh, conversations with investigators. One of the stories that really stuck out to me in the last year or so, or a little less than a year of covering this, was that Fotos Dulos, you know, his, his company, Four Group, um, owned the truck that was used, apparently. And he told one of his workers that he wanted the seats changed out of the truck. Um, and he was very pushy about it, according to this worker. And uh, the worker was suspicious, very suspicious. And the worker took the truck to change the seats, but without telling Fotis, his boss, he kept the old seats. And he ended up turning those seats over to police. And those seats had Jennifer Dulos's DNA on them. It came as no surprise that both Dulos and Traconis pled not guilty and were released. Three weeks into the search for Jennifer Dulos, Fotis Dulos's attorney, Norm Pattis, responded to questions about an alibi where his client was that morning. Jennifer vanished. We believe we can demonstrate with credible evidence that Mr. Dulos was in his home in Farmington until just about nine, at least nine. Thereafter, we still think he was in his home. Or suppose we could not account for him from nine to 1.30. Can you get from Farmington to New Canaan and back and kill somebody and clean up an extensive mess in a garage that included a lot of blood, splatter on a couple cars, dispose of a body, dispose of her car. Can all that really be accomplished in broad daylight in four and a half hours without a witness? And when asked about what appeared to be Fotis Dulos driving around dumping bags of evidence in Hartford, Norm Pattis had this to say. I know a tradesman of his was up in the area that day driving that very truck. Is it really Mr. Dulos in the car? Is it someone else? I, I just, you know, I don't know. Pattis was also asked about surveillance video of Dulos driving a red pickup truck on the day Jennifer disappeared, spotted in a New Canaan park not far from where her SUV was later found that same day. I'm not interested in the state's beliefs. I'm interested in what it can prove. They think they've got a red truck up and down a road. I haven't seen the original photos. I can't identify it. Okay. You do not believe that your client was in that red truck, correct? Correct. But then Fotostulos is entangled in another round of court appearances, this time in a family financial matter and a civil case filed by Jennifer Dulos's mother. Uh, her mother, Gloria Farber, right now lives in New York City on the Upper East Side at a penthouse. And she has, she's, through many different court appearances, uh, she's been granted sole custody of the five Dulos children, her grandchildren. So those children are now living with her in, in the apartment in Manhattan, as far as we know. But the civil suit doesn't have to do with the custody of the children. Instead, it revolves around Fotis Dulos's dealings with Gloria's late husband, Jennifer's father. There was a relationship between Fotis and his father-in-law, Jennifer's father, uh, Hilliard Farber. And, uh, you know, there, uh, there was a lot of money involved. There was a, millions and millions of dollars um, that was given to Fotis from Jennifer's father. And one of the many legal aspects of this case, not so much the, the criminal case, but more of the divorce filings, is that Gloria Farber, Jennifer's mother, wants that money back from Fotis that her late husband gave him. Fotis is saying that that was a gift and that he doesn't have to pay it back, but still it's millions and millions of dollars that's that's at stake and that's being talked about. So 
on top of it being a high-profile case, there's a lot of money involved in it, too, which really is just, it piques a lot of interest from a lot of people. Fotis Dulos took the stand in day one of the trial in the lawsuit filed by Jennifer's mother, Gloria Farber. She claims Dulos owes her family up to $3 million related to expenses with Four Group Inc., a luxury home business. And court Dulos had several copies of invoices laid out in front of them, answering detailed questions about each item, stating they were not loans but advances his father-in-law forgave. He was like a second father to me. Dulos describing a positive relationship with his father-in-law, adding there were formal promissory notes for loans between the two, but later changed after Jennifer gave birth to their fifth child. He expressed his support and he said to me that uh, in the in the future, any of these advances are not going to be considered loans. The trial took frequent breaks and eventually court adjourned shortly after 4 p.m. Fotis's attorney, Norm Pattis, then addressed the crowd outside. The amount of money that flowed both ways, I think, is going to make it almost impossible um, to say who owes what to whom. Um, if, if you did the math there, it appears that the Farber estate owes Mr. Dulos money, but that's not a claim we're prepared to press. In another one of those brief meetings with Norm Pattis and his client outside the courtroom, we heard from Fotis Dulos as well. I just want to say that I love my children. I think about them all the time. That's all. And we heard from Fotis Dulos's sister. She is the nicest person I know. He's a very, very good person. And you don't believe he could have harmed his estranged wife? No, no, no. This is not possible. Not possible. For everyone who knows him, this is obvious. Thank you. Thank you. In the meantime, Dulos' attorneys fought for him to be able to see his kids, now living in that penthouse apartment with their grandmother in Manhattan. Fotis Dulos hasn't seen his kids since May. We're not asking the kids to come live with him at this time, but he wants to be able to see his kids and hug his kids and, and tell them that he loves them. Something Fotis has said several times through the media. I will tell you guys that I love my children. I miss them every day. I don't know how they're doing. There's no information flowing. Uh with regards to how they're doing. Um, I love my children. I miss them. I think about them every morning when I wake up. Attorney Rockland told me right now Fotis is not seeking sole custody. Is that something that you would consider seeking down the road? Um, I think everything is on the table, but for now we're just looking for access. Sole custody lies with Gloria Farber, the mother of Jennifer Dulos, who is suing Fotis separately for what she claims are unpaid loans. Fotis' estranged wife, Jennifer, has been missing for seven months. He does have a presumption of innocence in this country. In the documents, Fotis asks to know his kids' academic and medical records. Anything that a normal parent would want to know about, about their children, and he's entitled to that information under state law. Rockland said Fotis should have unsupervised visitation rights, but said any reintroduction of Fotis to his kids would be handled with sensitivity. Certainly, um, we would be open to consulting a, a child psychologist, or exposing them to their father, somebody who is, makes up half of who they are. I can't imagine that in any way that should be prohibited simply because that it'll be a difficult thing for the children. The names Jennifer Dulos and Fotis Dulos were making headlines across the country. The daily court battles, impromptu press conferences, statements from lawyers, and swarms of TV cameras and crews. It lasted through the fall and into early 2020. You know, from the outside, everyone would think that this family had everything. 
money, five kids, beautiful home. And uh, to, to see an inner look at just how messed up this family dynamic is, your heart goes out to these five kids, you know? Because, uh, first of all, they haven't seen their mother in, a, in close to a year. Now they're not seeing their father. They're seeing all these headlines about him. They're living with their grandmother. Um, and you, you just have to think about that as well. But then on Tuesday, January 7th of this year, police move in. Uh, you know, we, we kind of were waiting for this news to break and for this day to come where police swarmed on his home in Farmington. Uh, they arrested him and uh, they charged him with uh, kidnapping, murder, and felony murder. They arrested Michelle Traconis. I'm not sure if Fotis and Michelle are still dating each other, but she was arrested. Uh, and they arrested Fotis's former attorney and friend, Kent Mawinney. And he was this third character that nobody had really heard of. Um, and, and he was charged as well. This is right where Fotis Dulos was arrested inside of his home before being brought out by state police. And his attorney, Norm Pattis, came here just before state police arrived. And he stopped and talked to us just before heading down to Bridgeport, where state police are taking Fotis Dulos. Here's what he said. I have not seen the warrant yet. I don't mean to be rude. No. I, I, I haven't seen the warrant yet, but I'm told that it's for the crime of murder. Um, I'm told by a reliable source, although I have not yet seen the warrant, that two other people are being arrested this morning as well. Um, uh, and I'm not going to comment on their identities. Okay, where, does it, where do you go from here? Into my car and down to Bridgeport. <laughs> okay. um, it's my understanding that the court put a $6 million bond on Mr. Dulos with uh, the condition that he not be able to post it until after he is arraigned. Customarily, an arraignment would take place the following day, given the hour, um, but we're going to do our best to get him into court this afternoon and try to address the bond today. Did you see this charge coming? Well, I've heard, I, I read the papers, and how many times have we talked now? Um, uh, I'm not surprised that the state decided to bring the charge. I haven't seen the warrant. I'll be surprised if they can win it. Mr. Dulos contends he was not involved, and I don't think the evidence will show that he was. Do you know what the other two individuals are charged with? I'm told one has been charged with murder and the other is conspiracy to commit murder. Now, what was your conversation like with Mr. Dulos when you were here? You had about 10, 15 minutes before state police arrived. What type of prep did you give him? What did you talk about? Anything that you could relay to us? I can't really talk about attorney-client correspondence but, or communication, but you can imagine what it's like to say to someone, prepare for the bottom to fall out of your world. Well, does he... What kind of mood is he in? Is he, uh, is, I don't want to comment on his mood. I mean, it, it, today is a somber day. Um, it, in, a, in a paradoxical way, we welcome this fight because we think we will win it. Um, in fact, we're confident we will. And now we won't have to speculate about what it looks like any longer. I'm going on my way down to Bridgeport right now where I will get a copy of the warrant and then the serious work of preparing for trial will begin. All of the rest up to this point has been preliminary, and, and, and now we begin serious work. Michelle Traconis and Kent Mawinney are each charged with conspiracy to commit murder. Uh, and this all happened around 7.30, 8 o'clock. We found out that this was going to happen. He was arrested a short time later at his house. We talked to his attorney live at the house. He said that he didn't even know about this, his criminal defense attorney, Norm Pattison. You know, he drove there and got there just in time for 
his client to be taken into custody. Um, and we were live all day long. You know, my co-anchor Jen and I got in here around 11.30 or so, and we went on the air. We normally don't go on till 4. We went on periodically with cut-ins, and then we went on full blast uh, along with a legal analyst who's a criminal defense attorney who we use quite a bit for advice and for his expertise. We went on around 1.30 and just stayed on and took live pictures of the correctional facility and of photos being arrested. It was interesting, the uh, state police detectives who escorted him out and also who were working that day, all were wearing the color purple, uh, purple ties, purple wristbands, uh, all for domestic violence awareness as they escorted him uh, into his police cruiser. All three are booked at the state police barracks in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Just before 4 p.m., state police held a brief press conference regarding today's three arrests. I am sorry, but we will not be answering any questions today due to the gag order. That's a gag order a judge put in place to prevent anyone involved in the case from commenting in any fashion. Fotis Dulos, whose ex-wife Jennifer Dulos has been missing since right, May 24th, was arrested for a third time in connection to this case and arrived at Troop G in Bridgeport just after noontime, facing three serious charges. Murder, felony murder, and kidnapping with the court set bond of $6 million. His most recent girlfriend, Michelle Traconis, who, like Fotis Dulos, had been arrested twice and charged with tampering with evidence and hindering prosecution, arrived at Troop G about an hour and a half after Mr. Dulos. Michelle Traconis, charged with conspiracy to commit murder, with a court set bond of $2 million. And the third suspect arrested today, is a Dulos friend who is an attorney. Kent Mowinney, charged with conspiracy to commit murder, also with a court set bond of $2 million. The next day, Dulos's attorney, Norm Pattis, spoke to reporters about the state's case against his client. Um, there does not appear to be a crime scene weapon. There doesn't appear to be any admissions or statements against penal interest. Uh, there's no body. Um, what we have is a suspicious disappearance and, a, and a, an entirely circumstantial case. When I say I'm relieved, I'm not being cocky. This is a serious case, and it requires serious attention, and we will give it such. But after this great length of time, I expected to see a forensic display that was breathtaking. I saw nothing. But for the first time, details about the investigation start to come out, available now to the public and the media. Court documents are very descriptive, um, and I have them here in front of me. They investigators found zip ties, four zip ties with Jennifer Dulos's blood on it, photos Dulos's DNA on it. And, you know, uh, Connecticut State Police obviously put these uh, arrest warrants out and there's a section titled uh, Indications that Jennifer Dulos is not alive. And in that, there are subsections, um, a message from the office of the chief medical examiner saying that... Uh, you know, he was provided photographs of the crime scene and, and evidence seized in Hartford to assist in his assessment. And he indicated that based upon the facts of the investigation, the degree of blood loss, as well as, well as other factors, uh, he was prepared to state that Jennifer Dulos had sustained an injury or multiple injuries, which he would uh, likely include some combination of traumatic blunt force injuries, such as a bludgeoning or beating, and are sharp injuries, such as a stabbing or slashing. And he called these injuries from what he could tell, non-survivable. 
Then there's another category called zip ties. Zip ties recovered in the case appeared to be made of thick white colored plastic. Four zip ties in total were recovered. Two of the zip ties appeared stained with blood. Given the context of the case and totality of circumstances, it appears zip ties were used to secure and then incapacitate Jennifer Dulos for some time period, during which her blood DNA was transferred onto the ties, uh, as there's little reason to incapacitate a deceased person. It appears that Jennifer Dulos was alive at the time the zip ties were attached to restrain her movements and prevent her from escaping. So, I mean, it's, it's pages and pages of, of their findings. And in one of the more bizarre sections of the arrest warrant, there's a strange story about Dulos's friend and associate, Kent Mowinney. Apparently, police got tipped off by two people who were hunting on property. There's a gun club. It's the Windsor Gun Club. And it's, they've only maybe five or six members of this little club. It's just some land that was owned. But the land was originally owned by Kent Mowinney. And he was a member of this gun club. And uh, on May 18th, these two guys go hunting at the club for one of their birthdays. Uh, one of the guys told investigators that the club sits on about 25 acres of wooded land in East Granby. Uh, these two guys were walking through the woods. They came upon an area of disturbed ground. When they looked closer, they uncovered two barbecue grill gates, which had been placed over a hole dug into the ground. Small branches and leaves had been placed on the grill gates to hide the pit beneath. The hole dimensions were approximately two feet wide, six feet long, and three feet deep. One of the guys stated that he's just under six feet tall and that he would have laid down in that hole. He described the hole as, quote, 100% a human grave. Inside the hole, one of the guys found a blue tarp and two unopened bags of lime. One of the guys said, what's the lime for? The other guy said, for trying to get rid of a body. To this, the other said, well, that means someone has to be missing. But the two men were unaware of any missing persons. The two men removed the grill gates and kicked around the debris. Uh, so it was obvious that no one could fall into it. Considering the site to be spoiled, the two men went on their way. Uh, one of the men continued to think about that hole and what was it for. He went back to the property four days later and he discovered that that hole was half filled with water due to heavy rain, that the bags of lime had been removed. Again, he was curious, um, but no one was missing four days later. This is May 22nd now, and still no one had gone missing. In early June, he went out to the property and found that the hole had been filled and covered at as neat as a pin with leaves and sticks to the point that you could not tell the hole had ever been there. You know, this guy talked to a police officer reported it to police. Um, now we go to Kent Mawinney. We're now in August. This guy was installing a building on the gun property when one of the other club members said, hey, did you hear about Kent Mawinney? He's involved in this whole Dulos case. Now, this is what's interesting. Although Mawinney had left the club approximately five to six years earlier as a member, Mawinney had reached out to another club member in March or April of 2019. He had said he wanted to get back into the club and had inquired how to get back on the property. The member told Mawinney about the hidden key to the logging chain. Mawinney had taken that information, never followed up about renewing his club membership. On May 24th at 7.29 a.m., Kent Mawinney's phone pinged him at the four group office that morning. And then, a few days later, Mawinney's phone pinged him at the East Granby Glen Club 
um, at the Windsor Rod and Gun Club. It's clear that if the Dulos case was the story of 2019 in Connecticut, it was soon to become the story of 2020, with what would no doubt be a long and winding trial as prosecutors would have to make their case without knowing what happened to Jennifer Dulos without a body. It's, you're just waiting for the shoe to drop. You're just waiting for them to find something because she's got to be somewhere. And then on January 28th, when Fotis Dulos fails to show up for an emergency bail hearing, a hearing that could have sent him back to jail, Officers head to his Farmington, Connecticut home for a wellness check. Through a window, he's spotted in the garage, slumped over the wheel of his SUV. Good afternoon. We understand you guys want information, but this investigation is very preliminary at this point, and there's only so much that we can release, okay? Today at about 11.54 hours this morning, Officers from the Farmington Police Department were asked to respond to Mr. Dulos' residence for a well-being check because he was late for a court appearance today. When officers responded, um, they could see through a window that Mr. Dulos was sitting in his vehicle and he had obvious signs of medical distress. Officers forced entry and immediately began to perform life-saving measures. Um, Medics responded from the East Farmington Fire Department, Yukon Health, and AMR Ambulance to assist with those uh, life-saving measures. Mr. Dulos was uh, transported to Yukon Health um, by ambulance where he is now listed as critical condition. Two days later on January 30th, Fotis Dulos is declared dead. Norm Pattis spoke to reporters outside of the hospital. The family is adamant that his name be cleared. As we are speaking, we have filed an unusual motion in the Connecticut courts asking to substitute an estate for Fotis Dulos for him as a defendant, to force the state to show its hand in a trial filled with evidence we think that amounts to no more than innuendo and unsupported suspicion. So if you check the court pleadings, you'll see a motion to substitute the estate of Fotis Dulos for Mr. Dulos. It'll be a difficult challenge to persuade the state of Connecticut to go forward with a trial in the absence of a defendant. But having maligned the man for all time from coast to coast, and if not there around the world, we're asking for the right to clear his name. And as to those who contend that Mr. Dulos' death reflects a consciousness of guilt, we say no. We say it was more a, conscious, a conscience overborne with the weight of a world that was too busy to listen and that wanted a story more than it wanted the truth. And we're not bitter and we're not accusing anybody of having driven him to his death. But we wonder why, in the court of public opinion, the presumption of innocence was so quickly satisfied. We won't be taking any questions tonight. Thank you. So one of the things that really strikes me about this story that's still currently in the news is that his attorneys are actually right now trying to clear his name, which is 
almost unheard of in this sort of a case. Well, right. I don't know if it's unheard of that attorneys would try to clear someone's name, but certainly doing it within the legal system seems rather, uh, as they will admit, pretty rare that they would continue to want to go to trial and clear his name. And as we mentioned in the story, using his estate, not necessarily their client's name, but the estate of Photos Doulos. And it kind of all plays into the fact that uh, you know, when he was found inside that car in his garage, he also left a note where he was still proclaiming innocence in all of this. Right. And Will, what is the current status of the Dulos estate? Right. So he has this, you know, large home in Farmington, Connecticut, um, and a, a lot of possessions inside. There are currently ca- court cases and hearings going on uh, almost as we speak uh, last week, and I'm sure they'll continue regarding all of his possessions, all of his money. You know, there's, I think there's debt involved. But And we point this out in the story, and Ben Goldman does such a, a really nice job of making this clear, is that you know, you've got five kids living with their grandmother apparently, in, a, in in New York. Um, and hopefully they'll be very well taken care of. But, you know, I, I assume they deserve whatever their father has left behind to some extent or to a full extent. So there's a lot of wrangling is all I can tell you right now. There's even mention of who will get his 16-year-old cat. So, I mean, you think about something like this where somebody has a large property, a lot of possessions, and then this horrible situation of Jennifer Dulos disappearing, vanishing. And, you know, that's another part about this whole case. And Jessica, I probably wanted to bring this up with you as well. I mean, this is a case we've covered a lot of cases where someone disappears or vanishes and they don't always have a suspect. In this case, you know, he was charged without a body, which is not all that common. No, it's not common at all. Um, It's pretty rare that a prosecutor would charge someone with murder without a body. So we're left with that mystery as well. You know, what happened to Jennifer? Where is she? Um, and, And it doesn't sound like we're any closer to those kind of answers at this point in this case. And will the divorce status, uh, what is going on with that right now? The divorce was actually officially dismissed last week. So, you know, at least that's one part of this very tangled web of what's going on uh, that has been taken out of the equation, understandably. Still two people involved in this case who are alive and charged with conspiracy to commit murder. So, We'll keep uh, our listeners updated on the story if there's any major new developments along the way, of course. Uh, Jessica, where can people learn more about Vault Studios, more about True Crime Chronicles? We are on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And one of the places that we will update our listeners on this case, as well as many others that we've covered, is our Facebook group page, which is Inside the Crime Vault. And you can join us for discussions and conversations about this and other cases and bring to us cases you think we should look into and do some episodes on. Spencer, I know you like to mention that it really helps when people go into whatever podcast app they're listening to and do what? Well, I I feel like you've already said it, but if you like uh, True Crime Chronicles or one of the other Vault Studios productions, please uh, go in, like, subscribe, and rate us uh, in whatever application you're listening to this show in. And be sure to join us next week. We are going to be talking about a really terrible story out of Dallas, Texas with Rebecca Lopez. She is a reporter, a longtime veteran reporter in Dallas, Texas. It's really a case of mistaken identity that led to tragic results. Join us next week.